0: Chapter eight of Diana This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Diana by Susan Warner Chapter eight The New Riches of the Old World There was quite a collection of people on Bear Hill today, as could be seen when they were all gathered together. The lunching place was high on the mountain, where there was a good outlook over the surrounding country, and here in the edge of the woods the blackberry pickers were scattered about, lying and sitting on the ground in groups and pairs chatting and watching the preparations going on before their eyes pretty and wild the preparations were under a big tree just at the border of the clearing a fire was kindled a stout spike driven into the trunk of the tree held a tea-kettle just over the blaze wreaths of blue and gray smoke curling up above the tea-kettle made their way through the tree branches into the upper air taking hues and colors and irradiations from the sunlight in their way the forest behind the wilderness of blackberry bushes in front THE WIDE VIEW OVER THE HILLS AND VALES, WITHOUT ONE SPOT OF CULTIVATION ANYWHERE, OR A TRACE OF MAN'S HABITATION. THE SCENE WAS WILD ENOUGH. THE SOFT-CURLING SMOKE, GRAY AND EMBROWNED, GAVE A CURIOUS TOUCH OF HOMELINESS TO IT. FROM TWO FIRES IT WENT, CURLING UP AS COMFORTABLY AS IF IT HAD BEEN THERE ALWAYS. THE SECOND FIRE WAS LIT FOR THE PURPOSE OF BOILING GREEN CORN, WHICH TWO OR THREE PEOPLE WERE BUSY GETTING READY, STRIPPING THE GREEN HUSKS OFF. Other hands were unloading baskets, and distributing bread and butter and cups, and unpacking ham and chickens. Meanwhile, till the fire should have done their work, most of the party were comfortably awaiting the moment of enjoyment, and taking some other moments, as it seemed by the way. Mrs. Carpenter, in one place, was surrounded by her large family of children, all come to pick blackberries, all heated with work and fun, and eager for the dinner. Miss Barry, quite tired out, was fanning herself with her sunbonnet, and having a nice bit of chat with Miss Babbage, the schoolmaster's sister. Mrs. Mansfield and Farmer Carpenter were happily discussing systems of agriculture. Mrs. Boddington was making a circle merry with her sharp speeches. Younger folks here and there were carrying on their own particular lines of skirmishing operations. But there were not many of these. The company had come for business quite as much as for play. Indeed, Miss Gunn's array of baskets and tin pails suggested that she was doing business on her brother's account as much as on her own, and that preserves and blackberry wine would be for sale by and by on the shelves of the store at the corner. The little party that came up with Diana melted away as it met the rest. Mrs. Reverdy glided into the group gathered about Mrs. Boddington, and slid as easily into the desultory gossip that was going on. Diana had instantly joined herself to the little band of workers at the campfire. Only one or two had cared to take the trouble and responsibility of the feast. It was just what Diana craved. As if cooking had been the great business of life, she went into it, making coffee, watching the corn, boiling the potatoes, looking at nothing else and trying to see nobody, and as far as possible contriving that nobody should see her. She hid behind the column of smoke, or sheltered herself at the further side of the great trunk of a tree. From the fire, she said to herself, but her face took on a preternatural gravity at those times, whenever she knew it was safe. She thought she did not look at anybody, yet she knew that Miss Masters had joined none of the groups under the trees, and seemed instead to prefer a solitary post in front of them all, where her pretty figure and dainty appointments were displayed in full view. Was she looking at the landscape? Diana did not in the least believe it, but she tried to work without thinking that vainest of all cheateries, where the conclusions of thought, independent of the processes, force themselves upon the mind, and lay their full weight upon it. Only one does not stop anywhere to think about them, and the weight is distributed. It is like driving fast over thin ice. Stay a minute in any one place, and you would break through. But that consciousness makes unpleasant driving. The corn gave forth its sweet smell, and Diana dished it up. What was the use of taking so much trouble, she thought, as ear after ear, white and fair, came out of the pot? Yet Diana had enjoyed the notion of making this variety in the lunch. The coffee steamed forth its fragrance upon the air, and Diana poured it into prepared cups of cream and sugar, which others brought and carried away. She was glad to stand by the fire, if only she might. How the people drank coffee! Before the cups were once filled the first time, they began to come back for the second, and the second, Diana knew, would not satisfy some of the farmers and farmers' wives there. So pot after pot of the rich beverage had to be made. It wearied her, but she would rather do that than anything else. And she had expected this picnic to be such a pleasant time. And it had turned out such a failure. Standing by her campfire, where the ascending column of grey smoke veiled her from observation, Diana could look off and see the wide landscape of hill and valley spread out below and around, not a house, not another wreath of smoke, not a cornfield, hollows of beauty with nothing but their own green growth and the sunshine in them, hilltops fair and lovely, but without a fence that told of human ownership or a road that spoke of human sympathy. Was life like that? Diana wondered. Yet surely that landscape had never looked dreary to her before. Mrs. Starling will have another cup of coffee, Miss Diana. Diana started what should bring mr knowlton to wait upon her mother's cups of coffee she sugared and creamed and poured out in silence may i come presently and have some haven't you had any just enough to make me want more i never saw such good coffee in my life you are accustomed to west point fair it's not that though i know a good thing when i see it when you taste it i suppose said diana preparing his cup however she knew with extra care "'I assure you,' said Mr. Knowlton expressively, as he stirred it. "'I have appreciation for better things than coffee. "'I always want the best, in every kind, and I know the thing when I see it.' "'I make no doubt you can have it,' said Diana, coolly, turning away. "'Hello, Diany,' said Mr. Carpenter, on the other side. "'You're coming at strong to-day. Got no one to help ye? "'Shan't I fetch Lizy? She's big enough to do something. "'I vow I want another cup. "'You see it's hard work, is picking blackberries. "'I ain't master here.' "'and my wife, she keeps me hard at it. "'Can't dewalve the duty on no one, neither. "'She sees if I ain't got my pail filled by the time she's got hern, "'and I tell you, I catch it. "'It makes me sweat, this kind of work, and that makes me kind of dry. "'I'll be obliged to you for another cup. "'You needn't to put no milk into it.' "'It's strong, Mr. Carpenter.' "'Want it, I tell you. "'Working under orders this way makes a man feel kind of feeble.' "'How do you think we women get along, Mr. Carpenter?' "'said Mrs. Boddington, coming up with her cup.' "'How, Miss Boddington?' "'Yes, I'm asking that. "'A little more, Diana. "'It's first-rate, and so's the corn. "'It takes you and your mother. "'How do you think we women feel, "'under orders all the time?' "'Under orders,' said Mr. Carpenter. "'Yes, all the time. "'How do you think we feel about it?' "'Must be uncommon powers of reaction,' "'said the farmer. "'My wife ain't anywheres near killed yet.' "'Think anyone will ever get that piece of Mentua-making under orders?' said Mrs. Boddington, looking towards the place where the frills and rufflings of Miss Master's drapery stirred in the breeze, with the long, light tresses of her unbound hair. The breeze was partly of her own making, as she stirred and turned and tossed her head in talking with Mr. Knowlton, the only one of the company whom she would talk with, indeed. The farmer took a good look at her. "'Wall,' said he, "'I should say it was best to do with that kind of article.' "'what you would do with the steam from your tea-kettle. "'Let it go. "'Tain't no use to try to utilize everything, Miss Boddington. "'Evan Knowlton acts as if he thought differently. "'Looks is enough with some folks,' said the farmer. "'And she's a pretty enough creature. "'Take the outside of her. Had ought to be, for I guess that sort of riggin' costs something. "'Don't it, Miss Boddington?' "'Cost,' said the lady. "'Evan Knowlton is a fool if he lets himself be caught by such butterflies' wings. "'But men are fools when women are pretty.' There's no use reasoning against nature. "'Well, Diany,' exclaimed Joe Bartlett, who was drawing near with his coffee-cup. "'How comes you have all the work, and other folks all the fun?' "'Want some coffee, Joe?' "'Fact I do. That is, supposin' you have got any.' "'Plenty, Joe. That's what I am here for. Hold your cup. Who are you picking for to-day?' "'Well, I ain't here for fun,' said Joe. There's no mistake about that. "'I believe in fun, too. I do sartin.' BUT I DON'T BELIEVE IN SCRATCHIN' IT INTO YOU WITH BLACKBERRY BRAMBLES, NOR NO OTHER. THANK YE, Dianne. MAYBE THIS'LL HELP ME GET ALONG WITH THE AFTERNOON. I NEVER THOUGHT YOU WOULD MIND BLACKBERRY THORNS, JOE. NO MORE I DON'T, COME IN THE WAY OF BUSINESS, SAID JOE, SIPPING HIS COFFEE. GUESS I CAN STAND A FEW knocks, LET ALONE SCRATCHES, WHEN I CALCULATE TO HAVE THEM. BUT I DON'T KNOW. MY NOTION OF PLEASURE'S SOMETHING SOFT AND EASY LIKE, AIN'T YOURN? I EXPECT TO TAKE SCRATCHES, BLESS YOU, BUT I DON'T CALL em fun. That's all I object to. "'Then how come you here, Joe?' "'Well,' said Joe, slowly, "'I've got an old mother home.' "'And she wanted some berries?' "'She wanted a lot. What the woman does with em all beats me. Anyhow, the old lady'll have enough this time for all her wants. "'How is she, Joe, today?' "'Days don't make no difference to my mother, Diany. "'You know that, don't ye? "'There don't nothin' come wrong to her. "'I vow. "'I believe she kind of likes it when things is contrary.' I never see her riled by no sort o' thing. And it's not uncommon for me to be as full as I can hold. But she's just like a May mornin', whatever the weather is. There ain't no scarin' her either. She'd just as leaves die as live, I believe, any day." "'I dare say she would,' said Diana, feeling at the moment that it was not so very wonderful. Life in this world might be so dull as to be not worth living for." "'It's a puzzle to me,' Joe went on. "'Which is right. Her or the rest on us. if she is, we ain't, and her and the rest of the world ain't agreed on nothin'. But it is hard to say she ain't right, for she's the happiest woman that ever I see. Diana assented absently. "'Well,' said Joe, "'I'm a little happier for that ere cup o' coffee. I'll go at it again now. "'Who's that ere little bundle o' muslin' ruffles, Diany? She's a kind of pretty creature, too. She hain't sot down this whole noon spell. "'Who is it?' "'Miss Masters.' She ain't none o' the family of our parson. A cousin, I believe. "'Cousin, eh?' said Joe. "'She hain't set down once. I guess she's afear to get in the starch out somewhere. The captain's sweet on her, ain't he? I see he took a deal o' care o' her eatin.' "'Mr. Knowlton is not a captain yet, Joe. He is only a lieutenant.' "'Want to know?' said Joe. "'Well, I can tell ye she likes him.' And Joe strolled off, evidently bent on doing his best with the blackberry bushes." So must Diana, at least she must seem to do it. There was a lull with the coffee-cups, lunch was getting done. Here and there parties were handling their baskets and throwing their sunbonnets on. The column of smoke had thinned now to a filmy veil of grey vapour, slowly ascending, through which Diana could look over to the round hilltops with their green leaves glittering in the sun, and farther still to the blue, clear vault of Ether, where there was neither shine nor shadow but the changeless rest of heaven. Earth with its wildness of untrodden ways, its glitter and flutter. Heaven, how did that seem? Far off and inscrutable, though with an infinite depth of repose, an infinite power of purity, the human heart shrank before both. And I had thought today would be a day of pleasure, Diana said to herself. If I could get into the wagon and go home, alone, and get the fire started and the afternoon work done ready for supper, before Mother comes, they will not need me to pilot them home at any rate. BUT THINGS HAVE TO BE FACED, NOT RUN AWAY FROM, IN LIFE, AND TRIALS TAKE THEIR TIME, AND CANNOT BE LOPPED INTO EASIER LENGTH. DIANA DID WHAT SHE COULD. SHE CAUGHT UP HER BASKET VERY QUIETLY, CARRYING IT AND HER SUNBONNET IN ONE HAND, AND SLIPPED AWAY DOWN THE HILL UNDER COVER OF THE TREES, TILL SHE WAS OUT OF SIGHT OF EVERYBODY, THEN PLUNGED INTO THE FOREST OF HIGH BUSHES, AND LOST HERSELF. SHE BEGAN TO PICK VIGOROUSLY. IF SHE WAS FOUND, ANYBODY SHOULD SEE WHAT SHE WAS THERE FOR. It was a thicket of thorns and fruit, the berries large, purple, dewy with bloom, hung in quantities, almost in masses, around her. It was only needful sometimes to hold her basket underneath and give a touch to the fruit, and it dropped, fast and thick, into her hands. But she felt as if the cool, soft berries hurt her fingers. She wondered whereabouts was pretty Miss Masters now, making believe pick, and with fingers at hand to supplement her, and looks and words to make labor sweet even if it were labor. "'But she will never do any work,' said Diana to herself. "'And he will be quite willing that she should not.' And then she noticed her own fingers. A little coarsened with honest usefulness they were, a little, and a little embrowned with careless exposure. Not white and pearly and delicate, like those of that other hand. And Diana remembered that Mr. Knowlton's own were delicate and white, and she could understand, she thought, that a man would like in a woman he loved— all daintiness and delicacies, even although they pertained to the ornamental rather than to the useful. It was the first time Diana had ever wished for white hands. She did wish for them now, or rather regret the want of them, with a sharp, sore point of regret, even though it would have made no difference. Picking and thinking, and fancying herself safe, Diana made a plunge to get through an uncommonly tangled thicket of interlacing branches, and found herself no longer alone. Miss Gunn was three feet off, squatting on the ground to pick the more restfully, and on the other side of her was Diana's cousin, Nick Boddington. "'Hello, Di,' was his salutation. "'Where have you left my wife and the rest of the folks?' "'I don't know, Nick. I haven't left them at all.' "'What did you come here for, then?' "'What did you?' "'I declare I came to have the better chance, me and Miss Gunn. I thought where nobody was I'd have it all to myself. I'll engage you are disappointed to find us, now ain't you?' The field is big enough, Cousin Nick. Don't know about that. What has become of your fine people?" I haven't any fine people. What's become of them you had, then? You brought them here. Have you deserted them? I came to work, Nick, and I'm doing it. What did they come for? Have you any guess? Tain't likely they come to pick blackberries." I told Miss Reverdy," said Miss Gunn, smotheredly from the depths of a blackberry-bush and her sunbonnet. "'that we'd have plenty for ourselves, and Emfield too, to-morrow. "'I will, I guess.' "'They'll want a misgun,' said Mr. Boddington. "'They'll not carry home a pint, you may depend. "'Di, did they come after you, or you come after them this morning?' "'Diana answered something, she hardly knew what, "'and made a plunge through the bushes in another direction. "'Anything to get out of this neighbourhood. "'She went on eagerly, through thicket after thicket, "'till she supposed she was safe.' and as she stopped, Mr. Knowlton came round from the other side of the bush. The thrill of pain and pleasure that went through the girl gave no outward sign. "'Met again,' said the gentleman. "'What has become of you? I have lost sight of you since dinner.' "'One can't see far through these bushes,' said Diana. "'No, what a thicket it is! But at the same time people can't hear, and you never know who may be a few feet off. Does anybody ever come here, I wonder, when we are gone?' or is this wild, fruitful hill bearing its harvest for us alone? Other parties come, I dare say," said Diana. She was picking very diligently, and Mr. Knowlton set himself to help her. The berries were very big and ripe here, for a few minutes the two hands were silently busy gathering and dropping them into Diana's pail. Then Mr. Knowlton took the burden of that into his own hand. Diana was not very willing, but he would have it. One would think blackberries were an important concern of life, he said presently, by the way you work. "'I am sure you are working, too,' said Diana. "'Ah, but I supposed you knew what it is all for. Now I have not the faintest idea. I know what I am after, of course, but what you are after is a puzzle to me.' "'Things are very often a puzzle to me,' said Diana vaguely, and having for some reason or other a good deal of difficulty in commanding herself. "'Aren't you tired?' "'No, I don't know,' said Diana. "'It does not signify. "'I don't believe you care, any more than a soldier, what you find in your way. "'Do you know, you said something, up yonder at the campfire, "'which has been running in my head ever since. "'I wish you would explain it.' "'I,' said Diana, "'I said something? "'What?' "'I told you what I wanted, and you said you had no doubt I could get it. "'I have no recollection of one thing or the other, Mr. Knowlton. "'I think you must have been speaking to somebody else at the time, not me.' "'If you please, I will try the bushes that way. "'I think somebody has been in this place. "'Don't you remember my telling you "'I always want the best of everything?' "'He said, as he followed her. "'And Diana went too fast for him to hold "'the briery branches out of her way. "'There are so many other people "'who are of that mind, Mr. Knowlton.' "'Not yourself?' "'I want the best berries,' said Diana, "'stopping before a cluster of bushes "'heavily laden. "'How about other things?' "'Diana felt a pang at her heart. "'an odd desire to make some wild answer. "'But nothing could be cooler than what she said. "'I take them as I find them, Mr. Knowlton. "'He was helping her now again. "'What did you suppose I was thinking of "'when I told you I wanted the best I could have?' "'I had no right to suppose anything. "'No doubt it is true of all sorts of things. "'But I was thinking of one. "'Did you guess what?' "'Diana hesitated. "'I don't know, Mr. Knowlton. "'I might guess wrong.' then what made you say, no doubt, I could have it?" "'I don't know, Mr. Knowlton,' said Diana, feeling irritated, and worried almost past her power to bear. "'Don't you always have what you want?' "'Do you think I can?' he said eagerly. "'I fancy you do.' "'What did you think I meant by the best thing, then? Tell me—do tell me.' "'I thought you meant Miss Gertrude Masters,' Diana said, fairly brought to bay. "'You did?' And what did you think I thought of Miss Diana Starling? He had stopped picking blackberries now, and was putting his questions short and keenly. Diana's power of answering had come to an end. "'Hey,' said he, drawing her hand from the bush and stopping her work. "'What did you think I thought of her? I have walked with her, and driven with her, and talked with her, in the house and out of the house, now all summer long. I have seen what she is like at home and abroad. What do you think I think of her?' Baskets and berries had, figuratively, fallen to the ground—literally, too, in Mr. Knowlton's case—for certainly both his hands were free, and had been employed while these words were spoken in gently and slowly gathering Diana into close bondage. There she stood now, hardly daring to look up, yet the tone of his questions had found his way to her inmost heart. She could not refuse one look, which they asked for. It gave her what she never forgot to her latest day. "'Does she know now?' he went on, in a tone of mixed tenderness and triumph, like the expression of his face. My lily, my camellia-flower, my sweet magnolia, whatever there is most rare and good and perfect, my best of all things, can I have the best, die? Miss Gertrude Masters would have been equal to the situation, and doubtless would have met it with great equanimity. Diana was unused to most of the world's ways, and very new to this. She stood in quiet dignity indeed, but the stains of crimson on cheek and brow flushed and paled like the lights of a sunset, all at the bottom of her deep sunbonnet. Was Mr. Knowlton to blame if he gently pushed it back, and insinuated it off, till he had a full view? "'You know what is my best now,' he said. can I have it, Diana?' She tried to break away from him, and on her lip there broke that beautiful smile of hers, withal a little tremulous just then. It is rare on a grown woman's lip, a smile so very guileless and free. Mostly it belongs to children. Yet not this smile, either. I should think you must know by this time, she whispered. I suppose he did, for he put no more questions for a minute or two. There's one more thing, he said. Now you know what I think of you. What do you think of me, Diana? I think you are very imprudent, she said, freeing herself resolutely and picking up her sunbonnet. "'Anybody might come, Mr. Knowlton.' "'Anybody might, but if ever you call me Mr. Knowlton again, "'I'll do something extraordinary.' "'Diana thought he would have a great many things to teach her, "'beside that. "'She went at her fruit-picking, with bewildered haste. "'She did not know what she was doing, "'but mechanically her fingers flew and the berries fell. "'Mr. Knowlton picked rather more intelligently. "'But between them, I must say, they worked very well. "'Ah, the blackberry field had become a wonderful place.' and while the mellow purple fruit fell fast from the branches, it seemed also as if years had reached their fruition, and the perfected harvest of life had come. Could riper or richer be than had fallen into Diana's hands now, than filled them now? So it was, she thought. And yet this was not life's harvest, only the bloom of the flower. The fruit comes not to its maturity with one sunny day, and it needs more than sunshine. But let the fruit grow. It will come in time— "'even if it ripens in secret. "'And meanwhile, smell the flower. "'It was the fragrance of the grape-blossom "'that filled the blackberry-field, "'most sweet, most evanishing, "'and most significant. "'Oddly, many people do not know it, "'but it must be that their life "'has never brought them within reach of its charm. Two people in the field "'never knew how the shadows grew long that day. "'No, not even though their colloquy "'was soon interrupted, "'and by Gertrude Masters herself.' She thenceforth claimed, and received, Mr. Knowlton's whole services, while Diana in her turn was assisted by Will Flandon, a young farmer of Pleasant Valley, who gave his hands and his arms to her help. It did not make much difference to Diana. It might have been an ogre, and she would not have cared. So she hardly noticed that Will, who had a glib enough tongue in ordinary, was now very silent. Diana herself said nothing. She was listening to a hidden music— "'There's a wonderful lot of blackberries on Bear Hill,' Will remarked at last. "'Yes,' said Diana. "'Well, I guess we've cleaned em out pretty well for this time,' pursued he. "'Have we?' said Diana. "'Why, all these folks have been picking all day. I should think they'd have made a hole in them.' Silence fell again. "'How's the roads down your way?' began Mr. Flandin again. "'The roads? Pretty well, I believe. "'They're awful up this way to Bear Hill.' "'I say, Miss Starling,' How do you s'pose those people lives, in that village? How do they? I don't know. Beats me, they don't raise nothing, and they don't kill nothing, That it's other folks. And what they live on, I would just like to know. Mother, she thinks a minister had ought to go and settle down among them. But I tell her I'd like to see what a sheriff would do first. They don't live in no reg'lar good way, that's a fact." Poor people, said Diana, they don't even know enough to pick blackberries. "'They hadn't no need to be so poor if they would work,' said the young man. "'But I s'pose you've got a kind word for every one. "'Hain't you, Miss Starling?' "'Diany,' said the voice of Joe Bartlett, who was pushing his way toward her through the bushes. "'Diany, here you be. "'Here's your mother lookin' for ye. "'Got all you want? "'It's gettin' time to make tracks for home. "'The sun's considerable low.' "'I'm ready, Joe. "'Give me one of them pails, then, "'and we'll try if we can get through these pesky bushes. "'I vow.' I wouldn't like to take Bear Hill for a farm, not on a long lease. They pushed and fought their way in the thicket for a long distance, till, as Joe remarked, they had surveyed the hill pretty well. Diana conscious all the time that Mr. Knowlton and Gertrude were following in their wake. That was near enough. She liked it so. She liked it even that in the crowd, and the bustle of packing and hitching horses, and getting seated. There was no chance for more than a far-off nod, and a wave of the hand from the Elmfield party— They drove off first this time, and Diana followed, at a little distance, driving Prince, Mrs. Starling declaring herself tuckered out. There was no sense of weariness on Diana, never less in her life. She was glad the drive was so long, not because she was weary and wanted to rest, but because every nerve and sense seemed strung to a fine tension, so that everything that touched them sent waves of melody over her being. Truly the light was sweet that evening, for any eyes— To Diana's vision the sunbeams were solid gold, though refined out of all sordidness, and earth was heaped up and brimming over with riches. The leaves of the trees on the hillsides sparkled in the new wealth of nature. The air scintillated with it. The water was full of it. Prince's hooves trod in measure, and the wheels of the wagon moved rhythmically, and the evening breeze might have been the very spirit of harmony. The way was long, and before home was reached, The light had faded, and the sparkling was gone. But even that was welcome to Diana. She was glad to have a veil fall, for a while, over the brightness, and hide even from herself the new world into which she had entered. She knew it was there, under the veil. The knowledge was enough for the present. End of chapter 8